Welcome back to episode three of the Canes Country Podcast. The usual suspects are back again. This is Brett Finger, senior writer, CanesCountry.com. Again, joining me today, Kyle Morton and Justin Lape. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Uh, not a whole lot going on in the hockey world this week, but fortunately we do have some topics planned for discussion, so, so I'm excited to get right into those. We made it to episode three, so it can't get much worse than that. So see, I'm excited to see where this takes us. And um, I think the biggest developing story, branching off of what we've talked about in recent weeks, is the quote-unquote business deal that Pierre Carmanis and Chuck Greenberg have to, for the sale of the team. Uh, Jeff Gravely from WRAL reported, and I'm reading this from uh, CanesCountry.com, Brian LeBlanc brought it up. Um, Greenberg and his purchasing partners are in the final stages of putting together their financial package. So from here, a legal review will be underway and is currently underway. Um, with attorneys involved, uh, Jeff Gravely from WRAL indicates that as of this moment, there are no red flags that have been raised to jeopardize the proposed deal from a legal standpoint. And once it gets signed off from the lawyers, it becomes a binding agreement that would be submitted to the NHL Board of Governors for approval. They meet in June and December, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's an impromptu meeting of some sort to address this, but I guess only time will tell. Kyle, now that this process is moving further along and it looks like for more certain this is actually going to fall through, how do you feel about it? Yeah, it's definitely uh, good to see things moving along in that regard. Uh, Last week we mentioned how, you know, this can be a slow process and that, you know, it's good to have good news, but maybe maybe a little bit too early to get your hopes up. Uh, And obviously... That's there's still a degree to which that's true, but things seem to be moving along pretty quickly, which is exciting. Uh, there's a lot of signs uh, out there on the internet uh, that if you look for them, that this is something that's happening. And I think the most interesting thing for me is um, how much of a local presence is going to be involved in this deal. Uh, I'm a former Capital Broadcasting Company employee, and Jim Goodman owns a stake in the Canes and North Carolina FC. Um, It'll be really interesting to see if Greenberg's group will just completely kind of take over the team or if some of those local investors will stick with the new group. Yeah, and there have been reports that they're already kind of talking to local investors to see if they, they want to be bought out or they want to stick in or uh, stick with it here. So, you know, all things, you know, taken into account, it looks like this is moving along quite nicely. Yeah, and you know that. That that's a key thing that uh, the local investors are being asked if they want to stay on because obviously you know it was reported when this was first breaking that the deal would keep the Hurricanes in Raleigh, but uh, if there was if that was even at all just a false pretense and something that was being thrown out there uh, without any accuracy, then I think we can put that to rest if we know that uh, you know the local investors are being given the opportunity to stay on. John Tavares is going to be due for quite a new contract after the end of next season. Conflicting reports, will he stay, will he go from the New York Islanders? How do you guys feel about it, Kyle? Is he going to be a New York Islander this time in two years? Yeah, I think he'll probably be a New York Islander uh, over the long haul. Um, he gave them quite a discount on his last contract, so I think he'll get uh, he'll get his due this time around for sure. Uh, I just don't think there's much of a chance that they let a talent like that slip away, uh, especially when they've made so many moves that are you know, suggesting that they want to win in the next couple of years. 
you know, I, I don't think they would have brought in Jordan Everly uh, with his contract if they thought there was much of a chance that they could lose John Tavares in, within a year's time. Uh, obviously, there will be a lot of teams that will be interested in acquiring him. Uh, uh, certainly, there will be some speculation about Toronto, uh, given that he's from Ontario and plays hockey. Uh, but I don't think there's a fit there with Matthews, Marner, and Nylander, especially with them needing big contracts pretty soon. Um, I've seen some buzz about maybe Tampa Bay being interested in him, but uh, that would certainly be interesting if it was Stamkos there. But again, I just don't see that as a realistic possibility with their cap situation. Uh, so between the fact that there's not really many teams that are both good and have a lot of cap space, uh, I don't really see any destinations for him other than the Islanders. I think he'll, he'll stay. But I think you're definitely going to get Tavares mania, similar to how Stamkos in the whole process of that. Oh, is he going to Toronto? Where's he headed? Where's he headed? And they just ended up re-signing. Uh, but he's definitely due a raise. He was at 5.5 uh, the past few years, and that ends at the end of this season. Um, but I don't know. I've from what I've read and what I've heard, you know, the whole Barclays Center deal. I mean, it just doesn't seem right and a good fit for the Islanders. So. I don't know how long a contract he uh, he would sign, given the uncertainty of no sure arena. I feel like um, in a lot of these situations, they all it a lot of the times, more often than not, it just ends up with the player re-signing. And I I don't feel really differently about about this situation. Um, like both of you kind of touched on, any player that's born in Ontario um, will be rumored to be going to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Stamkos was probably the the one of the worst examples of that and Tavares will almost assuredly um be in that conversation as well um but I I do think that he ends up staying and adding Everly was was a move that like Kyle said that you know showed that okay we're willing to give you players to play with we're we're willing to add talent around you if you stay and uh I think I think that contributes somewhat um Everly of course isn't some huge star player but i think it's still a step forward for them yeah i think if he was to leave any team that would actually make sense for him to go to in my opinion is nashville um they have the second most cap space in the league as of right now and uh you know they're always looking for a first line center and it gives him the best chance to win but other than that i don't see too many desirable destinations for him and if you're a fan of the New York Islanders, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, uh, you would know that they do play in the Eastern Conference. And with so much dead time between now and the start of the regular season, we thought it would be a good idea uh, to do every episode, take two Eastern Conference teams, uh, and just kind of break down their off seasons, uh, get into how we think they're going to do next season, what's intriguing about them, what to watch for. Uh, just to kind of give the audience an overview of what we expect uh, from the teams that the Canes will be facing uh, in that they're Eastern Conference rivals this season. Uh, so we're going to do this alphabetically because that is the only uh, organized way to do it that makes any sense, uh, which means that the Boston Bruins are up first. So what do you guys think about what the Bruins did this offseason? When I, when I look at their offseason, I see pretty much nothing. Um they they let go of Stafford. John Michael Lyles is an unrestricted free agent. They bought out Jimmy Hayes, which was probably a good move. Um, but in terms of additions, they didn't really do much. Um, so that, 
I've, I've read some things and I, I, I agree with some of it that they're going to fall back maybe a little bit this year. But at the same time, you look at their young defensemen um, with McAvoy and Carlo, they're only going to get better. So that defense, I think, is going to get better even with the loss of Lyles. And, but, but up front, um, outside of you know that powerhouse puck possession first line of Marchand, Bergeron, and Pasternak, they didn't really add a whole lot, so that I'm wondering where they where they fit in the East with so many teams getting better, like Carolina. Um, it, I'll be interested because you know this is a playoff team. I, are they going to jump forward with that defense, or are they going to fall back a little bit because it didn't do much over the off season? I think it's interesting that you mentioned that young defense because they kind of get a rap. I feel like that they're an older team. And, you know, when you look at what they had last year with Lyles, he's obviously up there. Uh, Chara is 40 now, and Adam McQuaid is 30. Uh, But when you talk about the young defenses around the league, you know, Carolina, Philly, Winnipeg, uh, Boston kind of gets overlooked a little bit there. Uh, And I I think they're going to be a threat uh, with that defense. Uh, Charlie McAvoy is a heck of a hockey player. Uh, He's going to put up some pretty big offensive numbers next year. Uh, Brandon Carlo uh, is a really he's 20 years old but uh, you talk about a reliable young defenseman who plays uh, with poise and confidence above his age kind of like Jacob Slavin here Carlo fits that mold a little bit he looks a lot more mature on the ice than you would guess for someone his age and another thing that sticks out to me with this roster uh, is when you talk about top heavy rosters normally you're thinking about uh, you know, Pittsburgh or Washington with the stars at the top of the lineup. Uh, but Boston's forward unit is the definition of top heavy. Uh, Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand are elite hockey players. Uh, Marchand has established himself as one of the best goal scorers in the league. Uh, and David Pasternak, uh, he's a guy that uh, everyone knows he's really good. I don't think a lot of people realize just how good he is. Uh the underlying numbers on him, the advanced numbers are fantastic. Uh, if you follow uh, DTM about heart on Twitter, uh, which is just at DTM about heart, uh, um, his goals above replacement model, which is just measuring how many goals a player is worth above a replacement level player. Pasternak is highly, highly elite by that metric. And I think he's someone who's going to break out in a big way. Uh, but Brett mentioned it, you know, beyond that line, there's not really much there on that forward group. Uh, and he's absolutely right. Ryan Spooner's okay. Uh, Frank Vetrano is a good volume shooter. Uh, David Backus provides some leadership, I guess. But you start running out of names really quick when you look at the roster. It goes to Matt Bolesky and his bloated contract uh, and Riley Nash. Uh, so, so, yeah, I like the young defense. I like the top of the forward unit. Uh, I didn't mention David Krejci. Krejci's a great player. Uh, but, yeah, I like the top of that forward unit. Tuka Rask and goal always gives them a chance. And I think if he can have, I think he's going to be the turning point for their season. If he can regain his elite form, I think Boston will come back to the playoffs. Uh, but if he has a down year, I don't see the depth on this team to overcome that. You mentioned the defense. The one big name you left off was Zidane Chara. He's in the last year of a $4 million cap hit. Is this the last year we see him in the league? It might be because you you look at how he's trending in his age. He's he's not getting better. He's getting slower, and I think the whole, you know, mammoth like huge hockey player, 
um, just in regards to how massive Chara is, that doesn't help him at all at this stage of his career. I mean, you see guys who who can still contribute but are on the older side, Yaramir Yager, of course. I mean, of course, he's five years older, but you look at how good he is still and how he can t- still contribute to a hockey team, I think he's more valuable than a guy like Chara and the fact that he isn't in the league right now, of course, that can change, and he probably will be at some point, just because he's still an effective player. I wonder how much or how much teams are going to value him, especially outside of Boston. Um, so I, I I don't know how much left he how or how much he has left in in regards to being an NHL hockey player. See, I do agree that uh, I don't think he has much left at all. But I do think that he would carry some value around the league uh, when he hits free agency next year. I think there's a lot of teams that would pay for that name recognition. Uh, and I definitely agree with you that you know he's not the type of player that you need in the modern NHL anymore. I mean, you look at the way forwards are going. Uh, Boston's biggest rival uh, outside of Montreal is Toronto. Uh, watch Zidane Chara try to defend those three young forwards on the Leafs. Uh, and you'll see pretty quickly why uh, players like Chara are being phased out of the league in, in favor of uh, defensemen who may be a little smaller uh, but can skate well and move the puck well. Uh, and yeah, but I, I wouldn't be shocked to see Chara stay in the league beyond this year, even if he probably shouldn't. But I think the the biggest part of the Bruins offseason was not losing out on Malcolm Subban. Now, he was a name that was rumored out there that he may go in the expansion draft, you know, a very young 23-year-old kid. I mean, Pretty promising goaltender. He had a good year down in Providence. Um, I, I think, you know, there's one year left on Hudobin's contract, but you may see him get a few more games up in Boston this year. Yeah, and um, I think really what what this season boils down to for Boston is Tuka Rask. Kyle touched on it a little bit. If if this is a playoff team, it's going to have to be because of Tuka Rask because I don't. The defense is up and coming, but it's still a level of uncertainty as to how effective they're going to be. Of course, their future is incredibly bright. Um, the top-heavy offense after that first line, it's it's not looking like Boston's going to be a very explosive offensive team beyond that. So if Tuka Rask can you know play like he did say in 2014 and 2015. Then this is this is a team that can that can make the playoffs and make a run because having goaltending is so so important and I think we've seen the opposite side of that here with with Ward and Lack over the past couple of years. If you're not getting good goaltending, you don't have a chance. But if you have that elite goaltending every night, you have an opportunity to win that hockey game. Speaking of having a chance to win every night, a team that did not have very many chances to win on very many nights at all last year. Uh, was the next team uh, in our preview series, the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, but the Sabres had a pretty interesting offseason. Uh, they made some huge changes in the front office, uh, bringing in Jason Botterill from the Pittsburgh Penguins as their GM uh, and hiring Phil Housley as their new head coach. Uh, but they also made some pretty big moves on the ice, uh, and I'll let Brett delve into some of those real quick. There are a few things that stand out to me. First, the the trade that brought in Marco Scandella and Jason Pominville from Minnesota. They sent Marcus Foligno, Tyler Ennis, and the 2018 third back the other way. And I really, really like Marco Scandella. He's a guy that was kind of buried in Minnesota under the likes of Ryan Suter, Jared Spurgeon, Matt Dumba, Jonas Brodeen. But this is a really good defensive defenseman who can log a lot of shorthanded time. 
Um, and he's just a reliable player. And I think that if he gets a bigger role in, in Buffalo, um, he can kind of start to kind of make a name for himself in that defense. Uh, Pominville is an interesting name coming the other way. Of course, he carries a pretty big cap hit. Um, and he's a few years removed from being the um, a, a top-end player, really. he's He had a 47-point year last year in Minnesota. Um, and maybe moving him back to Buffalo kind of maybe put some more energy into him. He is on the older side at 34. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how he rebounds in a familiar place. Uh, perhaps the biggest signing of their offseason was Matt Tennyson, who signed a two-year deal, um, <laughs> former Hurricane, uh, former third-pairing uh, disaster. Um, and he got he got two years, and the second year is a one-way. So I'm not really sure what he did in Carolina to prove that he is worth that. Um, so we'll see how that works out for him. Uh, another signing I really liked was um, them bringing back John, or, uh, Chad Johnson. He played uh, in Calgary last year. And um, he's a guy that I keep on seeing as a guy that maybe he gets a shot as a starter somewhere. Um, I think him coming back to Buffalo, him and Lanner, could, could be a pretty good duo. Um, his numbers fell off slightly last year in Calgary as opposed to when he was w- with uh, Buffalo in 15-16. He was very good. Um, so I think that's going to be a really good addition to their um, to their goaltending tandem. But I, I'm not really sure that they did enough to really put themselves in the playoff conversation, of course. Um, another year of Jack Eichel hopefully taking another step forward because if he can realize that potential and, you know, you know, be that player, he's going to be an incredibly special hockey player that's going to help Buffalo for a very long time. So the important thing for me is addition by subtraction in, in the case of Buffalo. They let go of Dmitry Kulikov, who only had five points in 47 games and was a negative possession player. He signed a three-year deal worth $4.3 million with Winnipeg, which is shocking because Winnipeg, in terms of cap space, they're about a middle-of-the-pack team. I mean, they, they have some money to spend but not Dmitry Kulikov type of money. Um, but for me, I think that's the best decision made in Buffalo's offseason. Uh, Benoit Pouliot uh, at one year for $1.15 million. I think that's a pretty good under-the-radar signing. Uh, he's a guy who quietly drives play really well. Uh, not the most productive player, uh, but he's only 30 years old, so he's not too far uh, gone from being an effective player. And he should still have some juice left in his legs. Uh, but a couple other things as far as the bigger pieces on this team that stand out to me. Uh, I think this is a big year for Sam Reinhardt. Uh, it's the last year of his entry-level contract. Uh, he was the second overall pick in 2014. He's coming off a season in which he had 47 games and 79 points, uh, which is, you know, that's pretty good production. Uh, that's not bad at all. The season before that, he had 42 points in 79 games, so he, he went up by five points this year. Um, uh, he's going to be, I think the measuring sticks for this team to see where they're going to be. Uh, obviously, Jack Eichel's going to have an outstanding year. Uh, I think the new coaching staff is going to do wonders for him. But if Reinhardt can take that next step into becoming a 55 or a 60-point player, the depth starts to look really good up front for Buffalo with Eichel, O'Reilly, Oposo, uh, Kane. And then you add Reinhardt uh, getting more effective to that mix. That's a pretty solid top six or a foundation of a top six, I suppose. Uh, that Buffalo could keep together there for a while. 
Uh, another thing, uh, another player on this roster that strikes me is Rasmus Ristolainen. Uh, he he is signed through 2022 for $5.4 million per year. And he is one of the most interesting cases in hockey to try to get a beat on as a player. Uh, Possession-wise, he's horrible. Uh, in 2015-2016, he had a 45.4% Corsi share. That was worst among Buffalo defensemen. Uh, in 2016-2017, he had a 43.8% Corsi share, even worse than Dmitry Kulikov by almost a full percentage point. Uh, and obviously, you know, Justin just touched in on how uh, ineffective Kulikov can be sometimes. Uh, but Ristolainen, unlike most possession drags among defensemen, he is a very, very productive player offensively. He just put up 45 points this year uh, from the back end, 41 the year before. Uh, that's There's not many players in the NHL that bring that, that sort of a dichotomy, uh, especially at uh, as far as defensemen go, whereas they're very offensively productive, but also huge possession drags. That's just not something you see very often. Uh, and Ristolainen's a young player still. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get better, uh, pretty considerably better uh, as far as possession goes. I think he kind of got thrown to the wolves a little bit with his Buffalo team. You know, his first full season was the 2014-2015 team that infamously tanked as hard as they possibly could to get Connor McDavid and then lost the lottery anyway. Uh, and Tim Murray was there and he loved it and he was very happy. Uh, but then, you know, the team didn't get that much better in 2015, 2016, and he was still asked to play a top pairing role. Uh, he's, he's never really gotten a chance with a good partner by his side and a good team around him to actually get a chance to drive play because he's been out there against top competition every night. Uh, with very subpar teammates. Uh, and I think with the development of some of the younger players up front, maybe adding a decent defenseman, uh, he's someone who could turn himself around in that regard and be a decent player. Uh, he could also, you know, stay that stay down there as far as that goes. And that wouldn't stun me too much either because, you know, when you watch him play, uh, he's pretty mobile, but sometimes he gets beat to the outside. Uh, he doesn't always use his size to his advantage, uh, which is something he definitely needs to work on. But he's going to be a player to watch for me this year. I think if he can take the next step then buffalo is going to be dangerous yeah kyle you touched a little bit on development and i think the good thing about buffalo this year is you know they just drafted casey middlestat he had a great year in the ushl they can be patient with him as well and i think he's a player that could develop really well he's got great speed and hockey sense um but next year he'll be with the university of minnesota so they don't really have to worry about in that regard, but they're they're definitely going to be a team that their strength is down the middle. So we've talked about the the additions that or subtractions even that these two teams have made. So I want to pose a question: Are the Bruins and the Sabers are they playoff teams this year? Uh, I'll start with Buffalo, uh, just because I think that's a little easier one to answer, and I'll go with no for them. Uh, they finished. Uh, 17 points out of a playoff spot last year. And though I think uh, the the minimum point number to enter the playoffs may come down a little bit this year, I don't think they're going to have... I think there's just too much that needs to happen. There's too many teams that need to leapfrog. Only New Jersey had fewer points in the East last year. Uh, I, like, I think they'll be an improved team. I think they're heading in the right direction. I like the moves they made in the front office and with the coaching staff, uh, but I don't think they're there yet. I think they're going to need a couple more years. Boston, uh, they made the playoffs last year, uh, got bounced by Ottawa in the first round. Uh, 
that's that's going to be a tough one for me. I think it's going to come down to the Metropolitan. I think if the Metropolitan gets five teams in this year, I think Boston's going to be out of luck because uh, I see Montreal, Tampa Bay, and Toronto as a pretty clear top three in the Atlantic right now. Uh, no particular order to those, but uh, if the Metro only gets four teams in next year, uh, I think Boston is a clear-cut fourth uh, in the Atlantic. I like them a little more than I like Ottawa heading into next year, certainly more than Detroit and Florida, and as I just mentioned, Buffalo. Uh, so if that second wild card is going to be available to an Atlantic team, I think Boston has as good a shot as the fifth Metropolitan team to claim it. Uh, but if the Metro has a repeat of last year, I don't I don't like Boston's chances. For me, I don't think Buffalo's a playoff team. I think that the East is kind of becoming the powerhouse more. You know, it's been the West for such a long time where, you know, they've had so many great solid teams. But the East, it's really hard to compete right now. And I think for sure, I think Buffalo, they're the odd man out for sure. But in terms of Boston, it's kind of hard to bet against them. Um, I... I, as Kyle said, possibly a wild card spot, but if they don't get in that top three, then no, they're not a playoff team. For I'll start with Buffalo too. Uh, no, they're not. Uh, I, I see I see it pretty hard for them to finish with the second to worst record in the East and then bounce back to a point where they are a playoff team. Um, when you as, looking at the Atlantic, of course Montreal's in there, Toronto, Tampa Bay. I think is going to have a bounce back here. Um, I, I don't see them coming really close to that. I don't think they made significant changes that that would uh, you know get them to that point. Boston is a more interesting discussion because you look at their off season; they haven't done a whole lot. Um, and then you see teams like Toronto that's going to get better. Tampa Bay, I think, is going to be a playoff team in the Atlantic Division. Um, I think Ottawa could take a step back. Of course, we're going to talk about all these teams later. But I, if I have to say right now, um, I, I don't think Boston's a playoff team. Um, I, I like their young depth on or their young players on defense. I like their top line. I don't see much depth on 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 their offense. Uh, if if Tuka Rask has an average year, they're not a playoff team. If if he can, you know return to the two grass levels that we've seen from him um, a few years back, then I think that changes things. But looking at their team right now, I don't think they're a playoff team. So it seems that we are all in agreement. Uh, Buffalo definitely out of the playoffs and Boston probably out of the playoffs, but they could make it. Uh, but the important thing to remember, you know, the saying goes, they don't play the game on paper. They play it on the ice and they don't play it on podcasts either. So we could very well be wrong. Buffalo could win the East. Stranger things have happened. And that's a wrap for episode three of the Canes Country podcast. Don't forget to follow us at Canes, C-N-T-R-Y-S-B-N. I'm Justin Lape, at Lanky Lape. You can also follow me. I cover the checkers, just so you guys know. And we have Kyle as well. You can follow me on Twitter at K underscore Morton nine. Uh, I offer a wide range of opinions and retweets on things that I that please me to see on the timeline. And you can follow me at Brett Finger, B-R-E-T-T-F-I-N-G-E-R, on Twitter. Um, I make really bad Photoshop, so you might be interested in that. Uh, I tweet a lot. Uh, make sure to follow all of us. And, of course, you can read all of our content on canescountry.com. Bye, everybody. See ya.